This podcast is part of the Invesco ETF Academy, a knowledge platform for professional investors who want to learn more about passive investing. Please visit the Invesco ETF Academy at investmentofficer.be if you're based in Belgium or investmentofficer.nl if you are in the Netherlands. In today's episode, we'll discuss potential reasons behind the increase in ETF usage by fixed income investors over the last few years, as well as the recent pickup in ESG products coming to market. The introduction of the European Union's Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation has provided good tailwinds, and my guest of today, Paul Sims, says there's no reason for this trend to stop. Paul Sims is head of EMEA ETF Fixed Income Product Management at Invesco. My name is Marije Groen, and in this podcast, Paul and I will try to decipher why ETFs are suitable for fixed income investing and specifically for investors who are targeting ESG in their fixed income allocation. For example, how developed is ESG investing in the fixed income ETF market? And is there proven liquidity in stressed market conditions or is it simply a matter of low costs in a market where every basis point counts? Paul, a very warm welcome to you. Great to have you. Thanks. Great to be here. Paul, before turning to ESG, I'd like to start by asking you a couple of more generic questions about ETFs for fixed income. Um, fixed income ETFs, asset under management, have more than doubled in the last five years. I'm just wondering, why do you think there's been such a strong demand? Well, yeah, so... Um You know, over the last five years, we have seen uh, fixed income ETF AUM more than double in, in EMEA. Uh, it's gone from a little bit under $160 billion back in early 2017 to around $340 billion today. And that's been purely driven by by net inflows rather than, than rising valuations for fixed income. And I think there, there are several factors involved here. I think, first of all, Everybody's become a little bit more familiar, a bit more comfortable with with ETFs and what they are, how they work. And that's just opened up rather than it just being sort of purely an equity focus to to actually uh, investors being more comfortable um, to use them for other asset classes. But for fixed income specifically, I think that there's been just a lot more sort of product development over the last few years. Um uh, You know, if you go back uh, to the, the early days of fixed income ETFs, um, you had quite broad indices that, that they were tracking. Uh, now there's a much more granular offering. You can target specific maturities. Uh, you can target niche areas such as AT1s or, or hybrid bonds. And obviously, uh, with the topic of today, you can really focus on ESG and, and what shade of green you'd like to um, to try and achieve out of your investment. Right. So how are fixed income investors using uh, ETFs at the moment, Paul? So, so there's a very wide range of, of usage there. Um, you know, so we see some of our clients, uh, investors using uh, ETFs for their tax asset allocation. Uh, you know, taking advantage of, of uh, liquidity and, and intraday trading to, to be able to switch um, their, their allocations. Others are using ETFs as a core satellite type of strategy. Um, you know, adding specific. Um, specific fixed income asset classes to their core portfolio. So maybe adding some some hybrid bonds to a, a European corporate bond uh, allocation uh, via, via the ETF. Um, and then, as I say, obviously, ESG strategies by by having the the variety of, of ESG options available now, as, as we've seen lots of product development over the last few years, um, a, a lot of um, investors are now using uh, ETFs to 
to achieve that ESG aims. Right. And, and what would you say explains that that sudden turnaround? Uh, so I think I think a large part of it was was SFDR. You, you mentioned that at the start, the sustainable finance uh, disclosure regulation uh, that requires asset managers to basically publish certain disclosures about CSG criteria for for all the um, all the funds that they they have. And I think really by by doing that, what what it's done is it, it's meant that investors can no longer ignore the ESG characteristics of the the investments that they're they're making. So I, I think that's really brought things to the forefront. Um, what it's also done is it's driven a lot of product development. Um, so, you know, while, while it's brought that that ESG nature to the forefront of investors' minds, it's also brought it to the forefront of of our minds as as when we're developing new products to make sure that they they meet the right criteria to to suit um, the ESG standards. Right. Now, key, of course, for many investors is performance. Uh, is it possible, Paul, to construct a fully diversified and ESG compliant fixed income portfolio that delivers on both ESG as well as on performance? Uh, the, the, the simple answer to that is yes, but it does take yes. a little bit of work. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it does take the right amount of work and detail when you're sort of developing the right indices for your ETF to track uh, to get the right balance between diversification, liquidity, uh, the, the increase in ESG score, and also performance. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think ESG should be seen as one sort of blanket item. Uh, there are many different shades of green. And we spend a lot of time developing products that we think sort of balance the right mix of pickup in ESG score and performance and still maintain the liquidity. Right. And how about credit ratings? Uh, what's the relation there with ESG? So so there is a, a correlation between credit ratings and, and ESG ratings. So a, a higher ESG score tends to be related to a, to a higher credit rating as well, uh, on average. And I think what we're also seeing is that there's an increased focus on ESG scores from credit ratings agencies. So this is kind of a trend that's likely to continue uh, over time. You know, if you think about it, a, a more sustainable business is more likely to be able to repay its debt at the at the end of the uh, the term. From an ETF perspective, you know, uh, adding ESG filters is likely to increase the overall quality of an index, um, but that can also lower the yield potentially. So, you know, one of the challenges we have is is how we design an index that has the right pickup in in ESG score without, you know, being too detrimental to yield and and making sure the performance is, is still sort of what investors are looking for. Right. Now, what we see is that ETFs are increasingly being embraced as the vehicle of choice when implementing ESG and fixed income solutions in investment portfolios. What would you say explains the attraction? I think there's there's, there's probably two key aspects here, which is are really transparency and choice. Um, ETFs are tracking well-defined indices, so you can see exactly what you're investing in. Uh, you know what the ESG score of, of that product is, what the index is, and the ESG characteristics, and they're all published on, on ETF issuers' websites, so you can see that on a more, more or less a daily basis. But in addition to the that sort of availability, it's the, the transparency element, you know, in addition to that transparency element is, is the choice of um, ETFs that are now available, as, as I mentioned um, a moment ago, you know that there's been a lot of product development um, within fixed income in the SG space over, over recent time. So you're just seeing a much greater choice. The different shades of green. Whether you're looking, you know, some investors will prefer a, a lighter shade with with quite tight tracking to a broad index um, with a small pickup in ESG score. Others will prefer a slightly darker shade, which they're, they're able to take 
higher tracking error against a broad index, uh, but they'll be able to sort of have an increased ESG score relative to their that that base index. We we briefly touched upon the SFDR already, but maybe you can explain to us what exactly and what role does the European Union Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation play in the trend that we're seeing? So I do think this has had a, a significant impact. Um, it required asset managers basically to publish ESG data on the funds that they're they're managing. Um, and it gave a sort of a level of transparency that investors were then really able to make sort of direct comparisons between different funds, uh, you know, rather than maybe previously before that, that was available relying on a name and and hoping that it it achieved the goals that they're looking for. You can now directly compare ESG ratings, um, ESG quality scores between different issuers, between different products. And I think that, you know, combination of it being forefront in in people's minds and being able to do that direct comparison has definitely driven you know an increase in in interest in ESG from fixed income investors. Right, uh, and when we speak of the SFDR, how measurable is the impact of uh, fixed income ESG ETFs? So it it partly depends on on the exact fixed income asset class you're looking at. Um, you know, for developed market corporate bonds and high yield bonds, it's very measurable. The coverage is very good now. For Maybe emerging market corporates, the coverage isn't quite as good yet, um, but we are seeing ESG coverage for fixed income, you know, growing rapidly. It's it's improved vastly over the last few years. I, you know, I think, you know, from a from a broad perspective, equities obviously led the way. The voting rights, the ESG characteristics, the nature there that you could influence companies, um, and fixed income lagged. I think you know what we're seeing now is because of the increase in interest. There's a lot greater coverage that's spreading rapidly. And basically, you know, that that choice is now available. Hmm. Now, now fixed income ETFs have proven to be highly liquid in times of uh, market stress. Does the same count for fixed income ESG ETFs, uh, which are, I think, often tied to tighter benchmarks? So broadly, yes. Um, Although it, it may depend on the asset classes, you know, ESG within fixed income has developed a lot over the last five years. So to to say that we've seen a full cycle of stress is is, is a little bit difficult to to really you know completely one hundred percent answer that as a as a definite yes. You know I, I think the thing is that while ESG benchmarks might be more tightly defined than than broad benchmarks, when we are developing them, uh, just due to the the nature of fixed income, the liquidity, uh, the the way that bonds trade OTC rather than than on exchange. We have to look to keep, you know, the right balance, uh, keep the index broad enough and liquid enough and not overly concentrated anyway. So so there is a balance there that when we're looking at developing products that we're trying to create that balance. I think the other way to maybe look at the liquidity, you know, um, in, in times of stress is that a bond that exists in an ESG index will also appear in a non ESG index. So you effectively have, you know, I was going to say double, but you have both sides of the the, the equation um, being able to invest in that bond. So I think that actually enhances the liquidity in some ways of those bonds that are in the ESG index. You you have a broader universe of of buyers and sellers out there. So overall, while while they might be more tightly defined, um, the liquidity is is there. One thing I would say in addition is is you know the the interesting thing that we have seen is actually you know through time to stress, obviously a, a couple of years ago through through COVID. What we've seen is investors tend to use the opportunity of, of sector rotation to sell out of non-ESG and move into ESG products. So actually, there's there's just that ongoing sort of rotation out of non-ESG towards ESG as part of their ongoing rebalancing. 
Right, right. Um, I want to touch uh, upon another topic, uh, Paul, which is engagement. Bondholders do not have uh, voting rights like shareholders. So what means do they have to move companies toward uh, greater sustainability? So while shareholders have the voting rights and bondholders don't, um, bond investors can still influence a, a company's behaviour. Debt issuers have always engaged with, with investors uh, and have always taken their, their views on board. Um, you know, quite simply, you know, if, if you look at it from an active management perspective as from one side of it, um, if an active investor doesn't like the ESG criteria of a company, they just don't have to invest in it. From a passive perspective, if that issuer doesn't meet certain ESG criteria, that issuer won't exist in the ESG index. So the passive fund won't buy it either. So... From both perspectives, you've got the opportunity not to buy that bond for, for whatever reasons, if they don't meet the right criteria. That's going to drive the yield up on those bonds, i.e. the cost of funding to the company. So there is a, you know, there's a kind of a ways and means of doing it. It might not be through direct shareholder votes, but it's a way of influencing their overall cost of funding. Right, right. Um Paul, we're almost at the end of this podcast interview already, but I have a final question uh, for you. In terms of uh, product innovation and, and choice for investors, what's your outlook on the fixed income ESG ETF space? So I think this is really going to be about ongoing increased range of ETFs available, ESG ETFs available, an increased choice. You know, currently the way ESG is, is mainly being implemented in fixed income is by applying screens and, and removing certain issuers that don't meet either certain business criteria or don't adhere to certain rules and, and, and regulations. Uh, and that's producing what I'd class as, as a relatively light green uh, ESG solution, you know, light, light to mid, mid green. I think as ESG coverage continues to improve um, within fixed income, you'll, you'll start seeing a range of stricter benchmarks that go to a much darker shade of green, probably become a little bit more narrowly defined. Uh, I think you'll maybe move into something that's maybe a bit more thematic. You know, we've seen that development on the equity side. You you have the lighter green, then through to darker green, through to thematic. I think we'll probably see similar sort of ideas to that within fixed income. So, you know, maybe to put it in perspective, uh, there's, there's, I think, a little bit over 300 equity ESG ETFs um, in EMEA at the moment, but there's less than 100 uh, fixed income ESG ETFs. So from that sort of perspective, you can see that fixed income is lagging a little bit, but it's, mm -hmm. it's been growing rapidly. And I think there's, there's plenty of room for that space to develop and, you know, plenty of room for new product development and, and um, assets to grow. Uh, and it's kind of that, that self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. The more product and more choice there is out there, the more investors are interested and will come to the to invest in those types of products. So I, I think just, just that increased choice is going to be the, the thing to keep an eye out for. Okay, well, stay tuned for more. Thank you so much, Paul, for being here with me today and talking about fixed income ESG ETFs uh, with me. Thank you. I would like to thank today's guest, Paul Sims, head of EMEA ETF fixed income product management at Invesco for his time and his insights. This episode was brought to you by Invesco. Invesco is one of the world's largest asset management companies, originated in the US and present in Belgium since 2006 and in the Netherlands since 2007. For more podcasts and articles on passive investing, please visit the Invesco ETF Academy 
at the Investment Officer website, .be if you're based in Belgium, and investmentofficer.nl if you're based in the Netherlands. Thank you for listening. Disclaimer. The value of investments and any income from them will fluctuate. This may partly be the result of changes in exchange rates. Investors may not get back the full amount invested. This podcast is for discussion purposes only and is intended only for professional investors in Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. It is not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any particular asset class, security or strategy. Regulatory requirements that require impartiality of investment or investment strategy recommendations are therefore not applicable nor are any prohibitions to trade before publication. Where individuals or the business have expressed opinions, they are based on current market conditions, they may differ from those of other investment professionals and are subject to change without notice. This podcast is by Invesco Investment Management Limited, Ground Floor, 2 Cumberland Place, Fenian Street, Dublin 2, Ireland.